One of the big things that I notice in the work that I do with sales teams is how marketing and sales interacts. And to be totally candid, at most organizations, there is not a lot of great alignment or communication between the two. And that's what we're going to talk about today with our two guests from Prolific, Andy Keene and Jack Gallo at the head of marketing and the VP of sales there. And before we dig into that, my name is Jason Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad. This podcast is all about how to help you as a sales rep or a sales leader turn complete strangers into paying customers. So we talk about outbound and cold outreach. And then also, you know, mid and bottom of the funnel uh, sales activities as well. So discovery, negotiation, demos, all that kind of good stuff. So we're going to talk about alignment between marketing and sales and how they can really collaborate more. So some of the stuff we're going to get into is how AEs and BDRs, especially if the BDRs team, uh, their messaging and their approach is being supported by marketing. So how they can collaborate better, how you can approach expansion into key accounts, defining those personas a little bit tighter. And then we talk a lot about how the feedback loop could be improved between sales and marketing from a content perspective. So if you're listening to this and you're a rep or a sales leader, what you you know might be thinking about is, you know, how could I get content that helps me land a meeting that's insightful? How could I get content that helps me through the sales cycle? Maybe address specific objections that I have or how to choose the right solution, doing it yourself in-house or going out of house to do it. The other thing that we're going to talk about too is I think that there are a lot of like with your content, how the content fits into the account plan across different departments potentially too. So for example, oftentimes I'm selling you know, into sales leaders, but I also have to work an angle with enablement and work enable with sales development. And if you're not working at a large company, that might not sound like a big deal, but those can be fairly siloed depending on how large the company is. So how do we keep marketing in the loop and get their help driving demand gen across some of the other people that we want to get our message in front of. So there's a lot of goodies that we're going to talk about today. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. I would love an honest review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to it. It gets more eyes and ears on the show and people exactly like you. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. So let's uh, let's settle the great debate, fellas, while we have you two here. Sales, marketing, whose fault is it when things aren't going? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm excited to talk to you guys <laughs> yeah. uh, because uh, I think that uh, this whole account-based everything is, you know, it's been a movement here in the last like decade or so. And I think the tools are finally catching up, you know, to help teams actually support this type of. Uh, go-to-market motion. And I wanted to kick the first question your way, Andy. When you think about like account-based marketing, like from your point of view as a marketer, how do you kind of look at the collaboration between marketing and sales and how have you seen it evolve? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And there's, there's no perfect answer. I think from a collaboration perspective, Working closely with Jack, Jack's team and the AEs, I have the business development team under myself. Generally speaking, the collaboration is around who are the key accounts that we feel we should go after. And between the groups, we're looking at 
trends in, let's say, inbound demo requests? Are there specific verticals where we're seeing more interest and activity over a three to six month span? We're using tools like ZoomInfo to help us identify and de-anonymize website traffic or use intent, right? So tools like that give us, I think, a good foundation of, okay, if there are two or three verticals where maybe there's um, opportunity, where we'll work as a team as we start to drill down into a specific vertical. And then you start to think through the account criteria of what makes a really good customer for prolific, right? And you can look at things like company size, revenue, number of sales reps in our instance, you know, using Salesforce's uh, technology, et cetera, right? There's a lot of different ways to break it down. So there's a lot of internal collaboration and discussion with who we're going to go after. And then between marketing and business development, we're, we're working closely to who's the buying committee that we're going to build out. So having a really tightly defined ideal customer profile, who are the key personas that are typically involved in an evaluation, in the research, ultimately in making a decision, et cetera. And so for those key target accounts, we'll build out a map, identify who we think needs to be engaged up front. Typically, this is where the collaboration, again, is key. The BDRs will do a lot of the groundswell. They'll uncover that intel with account executives, account managers, BDRs, get a state of the state. And then in parallel, the account executive will get a, bit, a little bit higher up and start to take that information we're uncovering and bring that that use case to directors, VPs, et cetera. So I think when I think of the collaboration, that's, that's how it's strongly connected. And then marketing is ultimately helping build and execute on that strategy to penetrate those decision makers and those accounts. Yeah. So Jack, being on the sales end of this and getting to talk to a lot of prospects uh, with your team, where do you, do you, does this come up in sales conversations? I'm curious, like do you guys dig into the collaboration on the account planning aspect of how are marketing and sales working together? Like what do you see in here in this area from the prospects that you speak with? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say it's, it's one of two things that we'll hear. It's either we're engaged with uh, a marketing operations person who's on the line to start to understand, all right, what are these insights that we can start to pull out of account plans now that this data is in a structured format that can ultimately allow them to do things like create more specific drip campaigns. Um, so starting to look at how can we create a, a, a campaign track for somebody that's labeled as a champion by a seller comparative to a blocker. And so when you start to look at the, the manner in which traditional planning is done, marketing wasn't ever able to get those insights. So it's a lot of times us bringing that up early on in the discussion of, you know, are, have you invested in a marketing automation tool? Is that integrated to your CRM? And if so, here's the value that all of these sales uh, generated insights from, you know, frontline conversations that they're having can ultimately provide to marketing to go back top of funnel and, you know, provide a, a more tailored experience, um, you know, from a, a marketing campaigns perspective. Yeah. With the prospects you speak with, do you see any kind of like strategic things that are just missing, <laughs> you know, from their account based strategy? Like this sounds really nice. What you're saying, like what you're getting people to, where do you see like just the mindset and the philosophy and the strategy behind this stuff? Where do you see misalignment? I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a really good question, Jason. I would say one thing that comes to mind is, you know, a lot of times marketing is guiding sales to, hey, this account is expressing interest or, hey, we have a lead from this account. But then it basically becomes sales' responsibility to work that lead, work that account, 
generate interest. And what I ultimately have seen a lot of success with in both our internal use of our solutions, along with enabling our customers to use the tool, is really that ever constant alignment between sales and marketing and bringing marketing into uh, you know, deal review sessions, bringing marketing in to prospecting sessions. So we can say, we're going after these particular stakeholders. How can I leverage my marketing team to do one-to-one uh, engagement on social? Uh, how can we put them through campaigns after we maybe have been given early, intri- early interest indicators? Um, so that to me is something that I, I, I've definitely seen where it kind of is like, a, let's throw this over to sales um, and then, you know, you're basically uh, responsible for working it from there. We've seen a lot of success continuing that alignment and collaboration throughout the customer journey. Um, and what that's also doing for, for our marketing department specifically is allowing Andy to hear who are we speaking with? What are the, the buzzwords that ultimately or topics that are ultimately generating a lot of interest? And how can we use that to create more demand for our sales team to execute against? Yeah. What you're getting to that's really interesting is I think a lot of the way that I see companies, at least that I work with approach, it's like marketing's job stops as soon as we get in like an appointment, essentially, as soon as this turns into a marketing qualified and the BDRs you know, can work that lead yep. and to get it to an account executive, it sort of stops at that point and it's on sales to just, Hey, whatever content we have to use, we can use. And it's like, what I'm hearing from you is, you guys are very strategic about thinking about what a prospect might need, or if we're multi-threading, who else might need to see and get familiarized with prolific. Yep. I see both of you nodding, which is really interesting. Um, so let's, let's backtrack a bit. I think there's a couple places where we can kind of dig a, dig a hundred foot hole here. And I'll kick this question over to you, Andy, when it comes to just account planning in general, one of the things that I see a lot is there's a lot of fuzziness on exactly when we're going after an account, who are the right people to go after and just basic fundamental approach to account planning. What are some like kind of do's and don'ts in terms of like, how do we really figure out who the right people are to like start mapping an account with and to start conversations with? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Uh, you know, from a qualitative perspective, it's, it's always good to get sales feedback. We're using tools to listen to sales calls. I'm seeing who's on those sales calls as well. So it gives me a sense of that. But this is, again, where having good CRM data is so important. And it's been really critical for us because I can look at six or 12 months of, of opportunity data and get a really clear picture pretty quickly based on who's the primary contact in those opportunities. Who are the other people from that account that have been engaged throughout those pursuits? And working with my team, we actually went through a process and documented three years of opportunities. Who is the primary contact? Who are the other people we touched at that account throughout the sales cycle? And it it gave us a really clear picture of, hey, here, like some of the titles I saw in there, candidly, I didn't expect. There was more account management in there than, than I expected, which is a great insight that we would have missed out on had we not gone through this exercise. Um, so when you have that kind of intelligence, it makes it easier on the marketing side as well. I can throw that information into LinkedIn, right, from a targeting perspective for our campaigns. We use that from an email perspective. Um, as you get omnichannel in general, knowing who you're going after and where they spend time to consume some of that content, it does really vary a lot by the kind of person you're going after. So I think 
really leverage your CRM data, look at those opportunities, close one, close loss, doesn't matter who's involved in those pursuits. And then I think talking with your sales team consistently is important. And if you have any kind of tools that have, you know, any kind of call intelligence tools, I think are also a nice cherry on top to help with that. Yeah. Uh, it just, it sounds obvious, but I, I don't know. For some, why do you think that people don't do this? Because almost every team I work with, and I work with some decent sized companies, there's always a lot of fuzziness on exactly who they should be going after. Is there anything sort of actionable that you recommend marketing and sales teams do to kind of get better alignment? Is there like a weekly stand-up type of thing? Is there some sort of like regular cadence of communication around this? What do you what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I can kick us off here. So we have weekly meetings, marketing and sales. It's a, it's a mix of a forecast, kind of a state of the state call that Jack leads. And it's a great opportunity for us to collaborate on what the team's seeing, who they're talking with to Jack's point. All of this information for us is, is stored in account plans, which is really helpful, right? So you mentioned why don't teams do this? At the end of the day, it's going through you know a lot of opportunity data, listening to calls, scheduling time, like there's there's upfront effort that's required, but it will pay dividends over time. And I, I think the mistake of not doing it is you're eventually going to be targeting the right wrong people. You're going to be trying to engage the wrong people from a business development or, or outbound sales perspective. I, I don't think you can afford to not take that effort and build that process up front so that you're consistently uncovering because an ICP can change a little bit over time as well, um, which yeah. I think we realized by doing that exercise. So it's it can be time cumbersome, but it is well worth it to get in front of it. You know, I I would add um, to what Andy said. I think a lot of selling organizations are doing this. It's just they're not putting it in a place that makes it easily accessible and understandable through reporting. So you know, we talk about deal reviews. That could be a space where you're saying, hey, this VP of uh, revenue operations is somebody who. Um, you know, is starting to look and tighten up their budgets for next year. And we're going to be, need to be really tight on our business case um, or else they're going to be a blocker. Um, and so the first step to me is creating some sort of system, whether it's, um, you know, keeping track of in your opportunities, who are the people that are a part of the buying committee? That's just the, the base level, understanding the titles. But then what you want to start to do is take that a layer to two layers deeper what are their influence support levels? How do those change based on vertical, based on company size in terms of the roles that you're engaged with and how they're advocating or detracting against a particular pursuit? And then the next piece that I think a lot of times is overlooked um, in terms of keeping track of is a lot of opportunities in Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using have been built to keep track of you know, your pain, what's their gain, the band, whatever sort of methodology, but we don't have a place to keep track of a specific role or stakeholder and what are their priorities and how is a, a title and priorities, what are the common trends that you're seeing be tracked across your opportunities that ultimately can be used in forward-looking pursuits um, to get ahead of particular stakeholders you know are going to be involved or have the right messaging, the right time based on historical data and wins of similar like ops in the past. Yeah, that's such a great point. A lot of the like persona-based material that I see with companies, because one, one of the things I always come in and look at is like what's existing 
about personas right now that we can repurpose into outbound messaging or for a discovery call. And the persona based stuff is it's like there's use cases and they don't attach like what personas care about specific use cases. So it's, here's what our product does and the problems that it solves, but how does each individual care about this differently? Cause you sell to individuals at the end of the day, whether that's one or two in SMB or over a dozen, you know, in, in an enterprise sales motion. And that's such a good point. You know, what do specific roles you know, sort of care about? I want to, kind of get to the basics and fundamentals of like, if we could do a deep dive into an account plan, let's talk the personas. What are the key kind of personas? And could you guys kind of run through the different types of personas? So we've thrown around influencer, we've thrown out blocker. Let's kind of start with the basics. If we could, what are the specific types of personas and um, why is it important to you know sort of include all of them? Yeah. Um, happy to answer that one. You know, I'd say, uh, it's going to vary a lot and we've seen it vary a lot in terms of how our customers define personas or define influence levels, support levels. Um, I think that there's a, a common base layer that we can work off of, which is what's their buyer type. So is this somebody, um, you know, evaluating the tool from a technical perspective? Are they going to be looking at this from a budgetary perspective? Are they going to be a user of this tool? And a user could also be uh, an economic buyer or uh, a technical buyer as well in some cases. And then the other piece to it is, all right, what's their their power level within the organization? And this is a big one because, you know, one thing that I, I heard early on in, in my sales career is uh, a plan without power is no plan at all. So if I'm in a deal review and you're telling me, hey, I've got this great uh, call and demo uh, that we ran with an AE and he's going to get the proposal I sent the demo and bring it to his boss. And then his boss is either going to give it a go or a no go. I'm like, that's no plan. That's no real qualified opportunity because the person that you're working with doesn't have the ability to make purchasing decisions. And so we want to start guiding your selling team into ways where they can check themselves without me having to check them first. And that's where you really uh, are, are creating a self-sufficient selling organization uh, is when you can put the framework in place with the tools that you've invested in to guide them through those processes of understanding buyer types, power levels, and then lastly, what influence levels are. Um, is this person a, a supporter of us? Are they someone who is championing us internally? Um, and making sure that you're really tight about the definitions that come along with each of those three respective groups um, is also very important just from a, a, a taxonomy perspective and how you're talking about these opportunities when you are in deal reviews or forecasting calls. Yeah. So how do you guys think about power level? How do you determine power level? Is that a seniority thing? Is it uh, <laughs> as I start to kind of uncover some certain things I learn. How do you guys think about power level? Yeah, that's that's a, a tricky one, Jason, because it, it's it's something to where you obviously are initially geared towards titles. Um, that's like the the initial thing that I always uh, think of is all right. This person has an SVP in their title. They're obviously going to be a higher level of influence than somebody who might be uh, you know a senior manager, for example. Um, I think. That can evolve and should evolve as you go through your discovery and, and evaluation process. It's not something where I have my team go in and say, 
hey, this person's a high influencer and they're forever a high influencer. I've had situations where, you know, regional uh, managers have been advocates, champions, and ultimately brought us to the finish line um, across the business to get a deal done. Um, you could define them as, as high influence in terms of their willingness to introduce you to other stakeholders, really move the needle along in terms of progressing the value internally when you're not in the room, which we know more and more frequently is the case where we're losing customer facing time and we need to develop uh, and identify people that are going to be able to be advocates for you when you're not in those discussions. Um, so I don't necessarily have like a, a, a scientific formula for it. I always start with our general understanding of just power levels or title levels and then I want my team through qualification to begin to adjust that based on their understanding of how this unique organization operates and who really can move the needle internally. And I have been surprised at times who those people have been um, yeah. in good and bad ways. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Andy, I kicked this question your way. And the reason why I'm getting kind of in the weeds with this is that uh, – you mentioned something, Jack, I think that uh, I see a lot too, where every company kind of defines these differently and it creates a lot of ambiguity for reps too, where they say, I need to get to the decision maker. It's like, there's not just one decision maker, you know, who else are we involving in this multi-threading? We, we talked about that on the webinar that we did yep. you know, a couple months ago. It's so key just knowing who you need to get involved in and why. Um, when you guys think of like the budget, you know, type of, uh, persona, the budget, uh, or economic buyer, how do you guys define, I'll kick this question your way, Andy, like what is an economic buyer? What is that? What does that mean? Yeah. And I, I think to Jack's point on the previous question, it, it can vary in, in different situations to me, the economic buyer and Jack, I'd love your two cents here is the person who's ultimately, I, I think of myself as an economic buyer and a lot of marketing technology solutions that we look into, right? Like I'm evaluating ultimately what is the potential lift or impact that we're going to see from the implementation of a tool? What is the opportunity cost potentially of doing nothing, right? Of not changing process or technology or adding people, et cetera, whatever that might be. And so to me, that that's truly the economic buyer is someone who's looking at this at more of, let's say, a business level and the impact that it's yeah. going to make towards the business's objectives and goals. Um, and as you get more in enterprise, it might be more how it's going to impact performance at the department level. But I'd say definitely at the SMB mid-market level, it's how is this going to help the business reach the goals? And ultimately, what is the cost in, in doing that or doing nothing? That to me is where the economic buyer kind of comes in in our situations. Yeah. And then, oh, go ahead, Jack. No, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, Andy, with what you what you shared. I would just add the comment of, you know, it's very easy to assume that the person that the economic buyer or who, who you've identified as the economic buyer is also the decision maker or signatory. That's not always the case, to Andy's point. Um, you know, internally, Andy owns the budget. He's evaluating the opportunity cost. But we have a process internally where things go to our present president for signature a lot of times. So, you know, it's, it's not always this direct line of buying uh, of a buying path. Uh, what we see, particularly as you move up segment is that's going to be more complex to where there could be a buying true committee um, that gets together and votes on budget. And we need to be understanding and engaging of all 12 to sometimes I've seen 30 people on a buying committee. Um, so, 
that that is just a, a point that I would I would throw in there to to build off what Andy had shared. Got it. So, lastly, on account mapping, we have sort of personas and you know and all of that stuff kind of mapped. What else is part of a good account plan? Yeah, I'm happy to happy to answer that. I mean, when I when I think about a good account plan, I, I think about it in a few core core facets or, or pillars. Starting with understanding like who is the business that you're trying to sell into? Who do they serve? Who do they sell to? Um, what products do they offer? What challenges have they shared with you? That could be through discovery calls that you're understanding that. It could be through B2B data sources or even things like you know 10Ks that you're researching to understand um, you know, what, are, what are customer priorities. The next step is how do our product offerings or services align with what's been shared as challenges or goals? And then beginning to map out who are the people that we know we need to speak with based on that product offering that we're trying to sell to fit, uh, you know, a gap in their in their t- in their tech stack um, that we we know we need to speak with based on historical data of similar like pursuits. Um, and the last piece, and I think the most important piece, which is also the most commonly um, mo- the most common pitfall within uh, the traditional planning process, is developing a, a plan that you're revisiting on a weekly basis of we've put forth milestones or objectives of five to six to seven things that we know we need to do as a business from a selling playbook perspective to increase our chance of winning this deal. A lot of times when you're doing a a plan in PowerPoint or Word, there's no easy way for me to keep track of who's done what, who needs to do what without scheduling another meeting, asking people yeah. through Slack or requesting an updated account plan, all time that we have to allocate in order to get these updates. And so we wanted to create a way in which that could all be intertwined to what sellers are doing within their CRM and enabling management to understand that through reporting. So we can very easily provide coaching and keep reps on track with the plans they, that they put forth. Um, so those are kind of the four four pieces that I would would throw out as the core pillars to planning, how you define your stakeholders, the manner in which you identify white space, depending on if it's a current customer or new logo, um, and ultimately align your product offerings with their priorities. The method for that varies uh, for us compared to a lot of our customers. And, um, you know, that piece is something that we, we, we support them on. But I'd say those four, four, four core pillars are, are where we always recommend beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Jack hit on it perfectly there. And the one thing I'm going to go back to here is is the priorities, the challenges in the current state, especially on the marketing side is, is I work with the team, you know, whether it's advancing open pipeline, going after target accounts that we have yet to, let's say, get a, a scheduled meeting with, leveraging that account plan data that gives me a state of the state, gives me go to market structure, gives me the challenges or priorities they have for that quarter or that year allows you to customize whether it's paid advertising, whether it's uh, direct mail, whether it's BDR outreach or AE outreach, um, it, it takes it to a whole nother level when you're really, um, you know, touching on things that matter internally to that that department, that team, that stakeholder, right? And so that's that's where I think the benefit of these guys having really detailed account plans has helped us. Is our our ads are much more impactful because they're customized. If they use let's like one account plan recently had language of 
the golden hundred accounts, right? No other company is using that. Like that takes immense groundswell and, and uncovering to include that kind of information in advertisements. And when you use yeah. that, you're going to get the responses generally that you're looking for that you might not get if it wasn't yeah. uh, customized. Yeah. It's a very sophisticated thing that you guys are doing. There's a lot of really large companies that don't do this type of uh, account-based selling approach. You know, we're, they're doing groundswelling, gathering insights, and then customizing ads and putting it in, in front of people. Usually it's just often, if you just look at the ads that people are showing, it's very generic, persona-based, you know, kind of stuff, which doesn't really perform that well. You know, people are so used to seeing it. So what I'm hearing is really like what the tool is helping people with is it's almost, it's like the internal part of the mutual action plan. <laughs> you know, like you have this customer facing and mutual action plan. It's got all these steps. And then you as a rep have to go get the stuff that you need from your team, you know, around this. And it's almost like a project management piece of the uh, equation that is just easier to manage when you have something besides a spreadsheet or a Google Doc or a PowerPoint, you know, to kind of do that in one place. It's a, it's a pretty badass tool. Um, if we kind of shift gears a bit into more of the marketing piece and the content piece more specifically, uh, Andy, where do you feel like there could be more alignment between sales and marketing in terms of like the content that marketing is creating and then also how sales uses that content throughout the sales process? Yeah, great question. In terms of the customers and prospects we speak to, I think a lot of it candidly goes back to a point you made earlier of marketing teams don't necessarily know who is true that ICP. You know, we hear a lot of defined by a function or by a seniority, but when you start to get even more granular than that, when you start to have account plans that uncover why someone wanted to talk to us, what drove them to take action and not wait any longer to think about changing their process from storing this in spreadsheets, uh, Google Docs, you know, Microsoft OneNotes, whatever it is, like getting even deeper than that, most teams don't uncover that consistently and store it in a place that's uh, a living and breathing plan that can be collaborated on that's visible to different teams. I think that's where the content miss ultimately comes in, right? Is you're, you're creating, let's say, more generic content. You said most ads are generic, not really meant to help educate and engage and give people actionable advice based on a role that they have, right? Or based on their objectives um, or goals. I think that's the miss. And so what we really strive for is like, how do we create content that actually answers questions that we're consistently getting from prospects, from customers, et cetera, that's going to help them do their job better. And that's, that's, that's where it evolves over time. So knowing when to send the right content based on the questions you're getting or the stage that someone's in a, in a sales cycle, I think that's, that's where there's typically a miss is there's, there's a lack of understanding and alignment of, when someone needs specific content to answer certain questions. And that's like, that, that makes a salesperson excited to share content with someone. You know what I mean? Like most of uh, the stuff that I see at companies, is like the content sucks. You know what I mean? It's, it's so generic and it just, you wouldn't like, it's not insightful, you know, in and of itself. And uh, is there something you said, a breathing living document, is there, any other kind of stuff, like what kind of snippets are you pulling? Like, is it like specific quotes and things like that, that you pull from a gong call or chorus call or whatever you guys use? Is it stuff that's that specific? 
Yeah, it's, it's stuff from that. I mean, I look at our team's key account plans all the time. My team does. We're And that's yeah. where we say like a, a living, breathing plan. That's the beauty of it, living in Salesforce and being revisited and updated consistently is I've got up-to-date intelligence from my sales team who are on the front lines of what matters to my you know, ideal customer profile, I've got a really good sense because you start to see the trends across different account plans. So let's say tech is a vertical that we're going after and we have a sub-segment of tech that kind of fits our, our bread and butter. If I see consistent struggles, consistent challenges, consistent um, competing priorities that are causing people to maybe not think about process when you've made these investments in people and technology, it gets a lot easier to create content that kind of busts that myth. If, if that makes sense. And that's the way I think about it. how do you bust yeah. the myth of, you know, not taking action. You know, these teams spend lots of money on, on reps, on account management teams, on tools. Process needs to be, you know, if you think of a Venn diagram, process sits right in between all that. It's got to be the, the middle part that's integrated with everything. Um, and so once you start to see the challenges that are consistently brought up, it gets a lot easier to create that content. So for me, the account plans are a really useful resource. Love it. Jack, what about you from your perspective on the sales end? How do you feel like marketing and sales could be more collaborative when it comes to the content piece and sales teams using the right stuff at the right time, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, from from a selling perspective, I think that my experience has always been finding relevant content is a journey in and of itself. And (laughs) it's like you send it out and then you find out later it was like the previous version of it and so it's you know then i ultimately just create a folder on my computer i'm like all right these are like the three resources that i'm just going to use um now how does that tie into the stage that it's in how does that tie into the the priorities that they've shared all of this stuff from a process perspective that i'm as a seller asked to input into tools so that we can keep track of our opportunities. We can keep track of who we're speaking with, what the pipeline is going to be and what our forecast is going to be. But that data is not speaking back to me and guiding me to, hey, based on the stage you're in and similar like pursuits, here's the case study or here's the one pager that we recommend um, for you to use. And so that really for us as a business is our mission is to balance the give get ratio between what users are asked to give to CRM and what they get out of it. You're always going to have to give something, but you should always feel like as a user that the tools that your company has invested in and the process that have been put in place are things that ultimately will give back to you at some point, whether it's through a recommended piece of content or uh, hey, we recommend that you speak to this person because you know in opportunities in the past that we've won, 90% of the time they've been involved. That's the type of stuff that we want to serve up to users Um, so that they can be true beneficiaries of process and technology rather than just uh, um, contributors to the the, the process and and technology. Yeah. I love that, man. The give to get ratio. That's been the whole issue with CRMs for the longest time is it's like reporting and it doesn't help me actually sell. But besides being a place to, you know, gather notes and that sort of stuff. Um, we're about out of time, fellas. Uh, this has been really great. I got a couple kind of fun rapid fire questions for you guys. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll start with you, uh, Jack, if you had to choose between phone, email and social, and I'm thinking from a prospecting point of view, and this question is a fun one because we don't have to actually choose in real life, but if you did have to choose between phone, email and social, what do you pick and why? Phone always. I mean, it, for me, 
And I tell my selling team this all the time. You don't, you don't uh, close business over an email. You might find business through an email and you might uh, find business through a, a social uh, you know, manner. But for me, uh, phone, and I'm just going to kind of blend in the concept of like video conferencing, because that's obviously taken a, a, um, a, a much larger uh, play in terms of how we interact with people now. Um, but to me, it's always developing that connection with people. And because that's at your point earlier, Jason, who we sell to, we sell to individuals. Um, and there's no better way to connect with individuals than communicating with them over the phone or over a, a Zoom call, for example. Andy, what about you? If you had to pick phone, email, social to start conversations with folks, what are you picking, Mike? Oh, great question. Um, I, I tend to agree with Jack that I think from a business development side, the phone is always going to be most crucial. Um, I, I think for myself, I'd actually take it a different way. And it's I'd use social because I think understanding how you're going to break down the key accounts that you need to go after and using that tool to engage people within one platform, I, I would go that way. So from a business development side, using something like a sales navigator to identify with the team, who are the you know 10 to 20 accounts, build out the list of people you need to engage and then meaningfully engage them with personalized messages. I think that's another angle I'd take it from a business development side. Got it. So Andy, I'll kick this question your way first. What is something you believe about sales or marketing that most would disagree with? Oh man, great question. Uh, I, I think just from a measurement perspective, the fact that both of our teams truly are aligned and measured on a key business objective, which is revenue is really, really important. It's we're fully aligned on leads. There's good discussion on lead quality. You know, if something's not working, what's not working and why? And the fact that all ultimately it ties into revenue, I think has been really helpful because it enables my side to make sure that we're trying to get as many good quality um, prospects in front of Jack's team as possible. It's not a numbers game. I want people who have a genuine need and interest in a solution like ours talking to Jack's team on a consistent basis. And that's one of my key leading indicators. And I can I can focus on that because my end goal and what I'm measured on is, is revenue. So I think being measured on, on similar KPIs has been really important and keeps us in lockstep. Jack, same question to you. What do you believe about sales and marketing that most would disagree with? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to just echo what Andy said, but I think just based off how we started this conversation um, around, hey, you know, what's what's kind of the gap that you see between sales and marketing? And there's this kind of historic narrative of, oh, it's marketing versus sales and who's going to point the finger at who. And ultimately, to me, that comes down to the metrics that historically a lot of businesses are measured on in those respective departments. And if you're able to create a model like we've done here at Prolific with Andy and I truly looking at the same results and how those results ultimately impact our performance and how we're measured. Um, to me, that is so, so important. Um, and marketing and sales can work off of the same uh, measurements, which are revenue, because in doing so, we've made our process with marketing, not just more collaborative in the prospecting phase, but Andy and his team now feel fully involved in opportunities that are in flight and how can we help progress these because they have just as much at stake as I do. Um, and so really that, that piece of aligning marketing and sales around the, the common denominator of revenue comparative to MQLs, SQLs and pipeline and all of that uh, for, for, for Andy and I has been invaluable in terms of our ability to collaborate with one another 
um, not just in how do we generate new interest, but how do we actually progress and close business? Yeah, love it, you guys. I think some of the big takeaways I had around the account mapping piece were like really digging down into the nitty gritty of the personas, clearly defining those. I love that from a marketing perspective, you're looking at six, the last six to 12 months of like data and you're spending time in account plans. I love what you shared, Jack, around this give to get ratio of the tooling that we're asking reps to use. And then what you guys just shared there, you know, last around just the alignment around revenue. Super powerful. Um, thanks for coming on, you guys. Before you take off, where can people go to learn more about Prolific and, and what you two are up to? Yeah, uh, prolific.ai is our website. Um, you're able to find us there and either check out our collateral and content um, or reach out and schedule some time to chat with us. You can also find us on the Salesforce App Exchange uh, just by searching prolific in the search bar. And that's prolific with a K or a Q, excuse me. Prolific, prolific with a Q uh, yep. for everyone. All right, exactly. cool. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason.